0: guys, this is Carolyn Chromings and welcome back to the Quick Getting Screwed podcast where we talk about all the ways not to get screwed in the construction industry. And today we have another one in the series of our nationwide lien rights. We're going to cover New Hampshire today. Uh, we have Mr. William Amon. Hello, William. Good morning. How are you?
1: Hi, good morning.
0: So before we jump into the specific rules for New Hampshire, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this area of law.
1: Sure thank thing. Um, so I practice in Massachusetts and New Hampshire. Um, I've been practicing for a little over 21 years, I guess. I'm primarily a a bankruptcy guy. Um, We do do consumer bankruptcy. We do a lot of business bankruptcy. Um, How did I get into this? I I mean, bankruptcy gets you into a lot of different areas, um, and a lot of it's real estate related. So, again, we do commercial litigation. So, you know, you asked how I got into this. I don't know. Um, being in that area just kind of got us into, and I did some real estate and I've done some work. So if you're doing anything related to real estate and anything to, with litigation, those two roads intersect and, you, and mechanics liens are an
0: important part of it, whether you're uh, defending or, or bringing a case. So let, let's talk about that real quick for a second, since you're familiar with the bankruptcy side. I've never had anybody in bankruptcy is federal law, so that's the same across all the states, right? Yes,
1: with the little asterisk that yes, bankruptcy law is federal law the um, it's how it gets interpreted by different courts and different circuits. so generally, yeah, um
0: yes, but sometimes there might be some slight distinctions on how the courts how the courts interpret it. Well, I think this is kind of important part to bring up because I think a lot of people don't understand that as a contractor, like say you're, say you're a subcontractor and you have a contract with a general contractor, right. And then you file a lien on the property. How does the general contractor filing bankruptcy in that situation affect your rights?
1: So there's a number of combinations you can have. For instance, you can have the homeowner filing bankruptcy. We're we're talking in the consumer setting, I guess, okay, residential. You could have a subcontractor. You could have a general. But usually, I think what what most people want to know about is what happens if the person that owes money okay the the consumer or the homeowner files bankruptcy that's usually because again that's what people are going to care about that are contractors or subcontractors right they've done work the person that's supposed to pay them goes belly up and and files bankruptcy is that is that kind of the question
0: yeah, I think that's like a two-part question. As the far in that situation, and in the situation where the person that hired you filed bankruptcy, yeah. but the property owner didn't.
1: Okay, so um, so scenario one, where you've got, we'll just call them the homeowner or the customer, consumer. You could use a lot of different names. If they file bankruptcy, <clears throat> there's an automatic stay, which goes into effect any time a bankruptcy case is filed, no matter what chapter it is. Um, Most common chapters are going to be 7, 13, or 11. There's only a couple more, like Chapter 9 is for municipalities, and um, that doesn't come up. To Chapter 15 is international stuff, that doesn't come up. Chapter 12 are farmers, and that can come up. But, like, you're usually going to see a 7 or 13, maybe an 11. Um, There's an exception to the automatic stay in
0: bankruptcy. So The stay means you can't take any collection efforts at all.
1: Correct. You can't take collection efforts. However, there is an exception for perfecting mechanics lien. So that's um, um Let's see. That is eleven. Well, this automatic stay is eleven USC three sixty two for bankruptcy dorks like me out there. Um, but you can continue perfecting mechanics lien. It's under um eleven USC five forty six B one. Um. So. I mean the short answer is if you've already got if you've already done work and you're the worker you're the contractor or the subcontractor and you've got a perfected mechanic lien and then the homeowner files bankruptcy the chapter seven trustee or if it's a chapter eleven trustee or the debtor in possession they can't they can't avoid a mechanics lien that were perfected prior to the bankruptcy being filed and if you're you haven't perfected a mechanics lien yet but you find out that the homeowner files bankruptcy, you should feel comfortable. Get a lawyer that does bankruptcy would be the best thing to do, but you you will be able to um, to, to do that, to perfect the mechanics lien. Um, you might want to, you know, again, it's, there's an exception to the automatic stay. If it were me, and I've had this happen before, I filed, um, because I had enough time under the statute, to I, I didn't have to worry about the statute under the mechanics lien running out. I filed uh, an expedited motion for relief um, saying, look, here's what's going on. We want to file mechanics lien, and we have the automatic stay. We don't think it applies, but we just don't want to get sued. You know, and the court basically just issued an order right away that said, it's not there's like I knew, but there's an exception to the automatic stay. This is moot. You don't need go ahead file your go go sue them in state court for that just for mechanics lien. Gotcha. Um,
0: so, so this automatic stay stops collection efforts. There's an yeah. exception. To mechanics lien because filing the mechanics lien is a collection effort, but the yeah. bankruptcy court says go ahead and move forward with perfecting your lien, which then right. the key term is makes you a secured creditor, right? As opposed, to, as opposed to an unsecured creditor in the bankruptcy, and so you can just put it like this: unsecured creditors get screwed, secured creditors don't, which is why you should have a lien.
1: Yeah, and that's there. There are situations where. A secured creditor, again, this is an overview, can get screwed so to speak, depending on the value of the collateral. So, for instance, you, if you're under secured, you're owed a million dollars and the property is worth two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. right? so you've got a lot of exposure. You're unsecured as to that as to the amount that's not secured by the property. So, I guess you're right. I guess that does fall in line with the unsecured um, yeah. creditors will get screwed. Um, I mean, it's important to note at least that this is just for mechanics liens. And so um, just doesn't specifically, does not apply for regular attachments. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute um, because it's interesting the way New Hampshire does things. Um, <laughs> when we get to attorney's fees, I'll mention that.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, cause those could probably never be secured. Um, right. So you have that situation where the owner files, and then for our commercial contractors, the general contractor files bankruptcy but the owner doesn't right and so that really doesn't affect their lien rights
1: no um well at least again in new hampshire you're gonna have there's two tracks to think about one is if you're a contract if you have a direct relationship with the homeowner and the other would be a subcontractor who doesn't have direct contact with the homeowner but is hired obviously by the general contractor so there's There's slightly different ways that you perfect a mechanics lien, depending on whether you're a, for lack of a better word, a general contractor or sub. So like a handyman example, there's a lot in New Hampshire, there's a lot of handyman businesses. um, They are almost always going to be direct contact with the homeowner. So it's pretty simple, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the statutes straightforward. But if your handyman hired a plumber or an electrician or something else, and they're doing work. There's this, and we'll get to that. That's in the materials they yeah. have. Gotcha. How to do it? Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So the first question is: Do you have to be a licensed contractor to work in New Hampshire?
1: No. Which is, I was, I'm always surprised when I come across that. Um, it's there's only New Hampshire is only a handful of states that don't require it. Um, you know, the state model for New Hampshire is live free or die, and something's. <laughs> I think sometimes you take that seriously. There are some exceptions, though. Um, so at the state level, mm-hmm. you do not need to be licensed for construction or renovation projects, um, but cities and towns, municipalities vary. So you'd want to check your local, you know, whether it's the city, town, or whether it's a website, or it's just calling your. You know, people in most towns in New Hampshire are pretty small. You can call your call your clerk, your city clerk, that you'll I'm know your right town now. collector. But I know mine by first name because <laughs> I have to register my dogs and my boat. And you get, you know, in a small towns, what it is. Exactly. Um, so that for for state level, no, um, but electricians do, plumbers do. Uh, if you're doing asbestos and lead abatement, they have to get a a, a state license. So the answer generally at state level, no, you don't need a contract. Gotcha. But if you're an electrician or a plumber, asbestos
0: lead abatement, you do need to get state um, licensure to do that. Gotcha. Okay. And then who has lien rights in New Hampshire?
1: So anyone that furnishes labor or material, that's the, the
0: simple answer um, mm-hmm. who would have lien rights. Um, Is there any remoteness like limitation, like third or fourth tier? Is that too far? No, it, it, it really
1: is. The statute is um, RSA 447. Um, there's like 15 or 19 sections um, that go into it. But it, it, the statute just says that mechanics be, may be filed um, by any person who alone or with others performs labor or furnishes materials worth $15. Again, these statutes were written, you know, a long time <laughs> ago. $15 or more to any construction project. Yeah. Um So general contractors would have lien rights, construction managers, design build teams do. I had a case a long time ago that was against an architect on a Mm -hmm. commercial project. This was before 2012. And so all their costs were soft costs, engineering and stuff like that. At the time in New Hampshire, those were not allowed um, by, uh, and so, but anyway, as of 2012, the oh, architects are. and designers must have a decent lobby. They they can now get uh, lien rights. Um, I don't know how decent
0: it is if it took them until 2012 to do it and lien rights have been around since the, since the establishment of the country.
1: <laughs> sure. But this guy had, when I started looking at all the expenses, I told him, I said, hey, there's a lot of Southwest airline trips. He was in Philadelphia. I said a lot of Southwest airline trips and a lot of. Uh, you know, Starbucks and a lot of lunches and dinners um, going back and forth. The project was in Manchester, Manchester, New Hampshire area. And I told them, I said, "That's not. You can't charge for your travel and your meals and all that stuff under the mechanics lien statute because I mean, now you arguably could if you're a design professional. But yeah. then the That's statute amazing. says it's pretty much what have you incorporated, brick and mortar? What have you done?" Uh, you've got to be able to point to the, the real property and say, yeah, I did this or i did. been. That's how it used to be.
0: Gotcha. Um, okay. So now everybody's got lien rights to improve the property, including architects, right. demolition crews, everything. Um, right. Okay. So what are the steps that you have to take in New Hampshire to have a valid lien? Does it vary on if you have a contract directly with the owner? Let's start there.
1: Sure. Uh, well, first of all, if you've got direct um like I said, there's a distinguish distinguished between I'll call a general contractor um, and a sub. So okay. a lien's it's automatically created by by furnishing labor or materials to real property. Okay, okay. it's now how do you perfect it? So the mm-hmm. party who's seeking payment must also perfect its lien in order to enforce mechanics' lien. Um, and in New Hampshire, it's you got to file. Uh, they use some of the old language here. They they They'll call it a petition mm-hmm. or a writ um, and a lawsuit. So I mean, I think what's important to know is not only are you filing, which I'll talk about in a second, the actual petition for writ of for a, for mechanics, you're filing a lawsuit too. Um, really? I don't know about the other states if you can just do one right. without the other, but in yeah. New Hampshire, it's, you, you got so, to do both. So um, both at
0: the same time.
1: Yeah, typically. Um, I I guess you could file your. Uh, I have a case now where they filed, uh, and the guy filed pro se, and then he got a a good lawyer that came in and amended his petition. Uh, But, yeah, it's typically done at the same time. I've never seen it not done at the same time. Um, So for a general contractor who's owed money, um, they essentially want to know what do you have to do to do it. Um, You're going to do what I mentioned. You've already got an automatic lien kind of like an incuit lien or, you know, a lien that's just by law, you don't have to do anything. So now it's, you gotta, it's gotta be within 120 days of doing the work. So that's key. usually the first thing I'll talk to of someone who's owed money or subcontractor or contractor is, when did you do the work? And talk to me about the work. There's all kinds of case law on people that would they missed the 120-day deadline, so they bring a bulldozer out there and they move boulders and shit around, excuse my French, no, um, no. and then they think, oh, look, see, I'm doing work. I mean, it has to be substantial work. It has to be within the scope of the contract. You can't invent new things because you missed it's the deadline. The so it's lines. 120 days, and what do you have to do within the 120 days? Um, you're going to have to file
0: essentially a petition for a mechanics lien and your lawsuit. Um, Okay. So do you file anything in the real property records or
1: you just file the lawsuit? You file the lawsuit and then once assuming that you, and you can do it ex parte, you don't have to, but a lot of times it's done without giving advance notice to the other side. Um, Nowadays they use a lot of forms and stuff. So you could find a petition for a real, you know, for a mechanics lien online. But um, the important thing is you don't need to give um, advance notice to your defendant um, so no you don't you don't you don't and can't record anything at the registry deeds until a court order allows it um okay i know in some other states you can do that but i wouldn't record anything at the registry deeds that could affect someone's title without their consent so what you do you file your petition for cancellation the 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 uh the lien is granted and then you record that okay. um, at the registry deed
0: Gotcha. So, um, it's like, so it's like, is there a trial in between that you file, you have to prove the validity of the lien before the court grants it, or is it kind of like a ex parte thing that you can just show that you, you did work or.
1: It's kind of, as long as it has the, the elements, um, which I'll touch on a little bit later, you've got to state that it is a mechanics lien. It's very basic rudimentary stuff. So gotcha. it's very procedural. If you, they're going to check, they're going to go down a checklist. And if you've got the their allegations, they don't have to test it. There's no trial. There's no hearing or anything. It gets okay. granted. Now, after it's granted, the defendant has the right to challenge it, file a motion to dissolve it, or, um, I mean, the one I have, I've got a couple going on now. Um, I don't know if it's going to sell or not, but there eventually will be a trial if it goes that far, because okay. I'm representing the homeowners, and they... We brought counterclaims, it gets involved, but my people are saying we don't owe him anything because he messed up so much stuff um, and he's claiming that he's owed $50,000. So there's a big delta between these people. We're trying to figure mm-hmm. out what's up. But yeah. for a general, they file a petition for the uh, mechanic's lien attachment. They file their underlying lawsuit. Um, for a subcontractor, it's a, it's a slightly different notice and accounting procedure. Subs have to provide the property owner... With a written notice of their intent to claim a mechanics lien okay mm-hmm. um and it can be it, it, what i tell my co- my construction clients is you should put that intent to lean in your contract um and it's just got to be you know you want to be business friendly but if you put it within your your contract right up front then you're you won't have to do it you've already done it so, so as a
0: subcontractor the contract with the GC is enough or do they have to send it to the owner too?
1: No, it's got to be, if you're a subcontractor, it's got to be, you got to give that to the homeowner. If you're going to do okay. work at someone's house, you would have to give that. now you can, if you haven't done that, which a lot of companies haven't, because if they're a sub, they're like, well, we don't have any contact with the homeowner and we don't really feel like getting hired as a subcontractor and then sending, hi, Mr. And Mrs. Homeowner, here's my notice of intent to lean If I don't get paid, they usually don't do it. So.
0: What's the time um, frame? How long do they have to do that once they start working?
1: They can do. They can give the notice of intent to lean. Um, If they don't do it before they start doing work, they can do it after they did work. They can do it really at any time. I'm just saying, as a as a practice, if you could put it in a contract, um, and have this, and, and you've got any uh, contact with the uh, with the homeowner, it's there. You got to cover. But I tell you what, it comes up most of the time. Subcontractor does does gets hired by a GC. They don't have any contact with the homeowner other than maybe they see them in the house or something if they're there. Um, They do their work as a subcontractor, and then they're not getting paid, So and they want to lien the property. So if they do that, then their notice is they do essentially a a statement of account, they call it, SOI or statement of account. Um, And if they do that, then the subcontractor's lien is limited to what amounts were due after the notice is given. So that's why I tell people to put it in, put it in up front. <laughs> so,
0: so, so you're, you're the state, like anybody, but anybody under the sub is going to be limited to the amount that's owed to the general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a way of putting it. Got but you. I think the important part is if you're, if you're a, it's simple. If you're general, we'll just leave that alone. General, you don't have to give this notice or a break statement of account or any of that stuff, you've got direct contact. If you don't get paid within 120 days of doing substantial work, um, you can bring a mechanics, you can bring a a lawsuit and petition for a mechanics lien attachment. That's, that's, that's general subs. Again, you gotta give notice to the homeowner of your intent to mechanics lien. And you should do that as soon as possible. Because if you, you can do it at any time, but if you wait, like I said, it's RSA is the it's law is four, four, seven, section six. It's limited to the amounts that are due um, to the general contractor or that may become due after the notice is given. So, so, so
0: if, if everything was paid by the time you give your notice, you're screwed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha.
1: Yeah. And again, a, a, a defense from a homeowner standpoint could be what I just call simply the payment defense. So if the general, if the homeowner said, wait a minute, I paid the general everything. Um, then you're not going to get a lien um, on the home, and nor should you. You, you know, the homeowner, it they paid that that's a payment defense. Then your recourse as a as a subcontractor is against your general, which is hey, the homeowner says that they paid you everything.
0: What where where am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, I just you know, it's kind of weird because there's only a few states that are like that. North Carolina yeah. is that way. Now New Hampshire is that way. I found that I find it most states. Either have like t- Texas has a retainage requirement that the owner withhold ten percent. So yeah, there, it, it's it, it's so wild to me that all fifty states have very fifty different ways of doing things. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I, another way to kind of deal with this um,
1: is even if you don't have a bank. So a lot of people have banks involved, um, and that's fine. But even if you don't, mm-hmm. um, I tell homeowners or even you know, subs try and set up stages or phases and, and get lean waivers because that's just a good gut check on everyone. So, you know, you might say if you're a homeowner, look, here's phase one, you know, a completion of the floor and the living room and wh- whatever's in the whatever's in that project. And before anyone's going to get paid, it's got to be a sign off. Mm-hmm. Um, So uh, banks will typically require that because they're not gonna just write checks when they don't know if stuff's done. Um, Although I had a case where a guy, and I think this happens frequently, um, was either forging lien waivers or was telling the bank, yeah, yeah, it's done, it's done, when it wasn't, but Mm -hmm. it's a different story. Um, But yeah, that's that's a good practice, I think, is to try and have lien waivers along the way, milestones.
0: I agree. Is there any difference in what you have to do to perfect a lien for a commercial project or a residential project?
1: No, the, the, the law doesn't. No, there's there's no difference
0: at all. It or not. <clears throat> and then so it sounds like you're already in a lawsuit. But how long are liens good for? It's like, say you file the petition, you get the court to sign off on it. Uh, how long is it, how long are they good for?
1: Uh, You know, I just came across something that said they don't last forever, but then I couldn't really find a source for that. Um, My understanding and practicing is that they stay on the property for as long, you know, they they just stay there until they're discharged. I don't know, um, like an attachment under, not under the mechanics lien statute. A lot of times they'll be good for 10 years and then you got to renew them. I I think mechanics liens are good until they're paid off. They're going to stay on. The, the attachment will stay uh, at the registry of deeds again, assuming it was approved by the court.
0: Gotcha.
1: Until <laughs> something happens with that property, someone dies, someone refinances, someone sells. So it's pretty wow. powerful
0: to get that lien. That is. Uh, yeah. And uh, how do you, can you get your attorney's fees back if you have to hire an attorney to file this? Because it doesn't sound like something you can do on your own really well.
1: Um, doing this on your own is a bad idea, just like me doing my own plumbing or electrical wiring is a bad idea could i read books and watch youtube videos and you know it's not rocket science but it's very technical there's very there's steps that if you miss any along the way um if the court doesn't kick it out the, if there's a, someone on the other side who knows what they're doing it will just give them a defense um and you know since you've got this strict 120 day deadline, you know, if you do it and you F it up, um, you know, you don't get a do over if you're if you're up against 120 days, you know, what I'm saying if you, if you brought something incorrectly on day 115, and it takes you more than five days to figure out that you did it wrong, you're now beyond statute. So you won't get a mechanics lien, you you could still get a real estate attachment, what I call just a garden variety, real estate attachment, but it doesn't have the priority Of a mechanics lien, to answer your question about attorneys' fees, again, this sucks in New Hampshire. No, you don't get attorneys' fees as part of um, as part of mechanics liens under the statute. So yeah, so I had did a double take on that. Again, it's weird because under the normal attachment law, which is RSA five eleven, you do you can add for um it does authorize in fact the language out of rsa 511 a4 it allows attachments quote to the extent reasonably necessary to secure any judgment or decree which the plaintiff is likely to obtain so that includes allowable interest and costs mm-hmm. um so that's an, an ordinary attachment but the mechanics lien doesn't have that so i i don't know i don't know it also
0: gets priority because it's for the improvement. So attorneys, attorney's fees aren't for the improvement. Most states don't allow you to include it in your lien, but you could recover it. And then some states are only if, like you had it for a breach of contract, you could have it in a regular attachment, sounds like, but not on the mechanics lien.
1: Yeah, what I thought of, you know, I might bring, I might do a mechanics lien, and then I would also separately seek an attachment just for attorney's fees, Um, if your contract has a provision for attorney's fees. So I think that would be the standard. So you definitely, whatever contract you have, whether you're a sub or a general, you should have a a provision in there that um, the attorney's fees, reasonable attorney's fees will be awarded or or, or recoverable under the contract. If you have that, and let's say you file a mechanics lien for labor and material for $20,000, and then you think, well, geez, this thing's going to go to trial potentially. I've got, I've spent five thousand dollars on mechanics. Uh, I don't see why you couldn't file just again file them separately, mm-hmm. and um and do that. Yeah, and if I the dollar know. if the dollar amounts high enough, that might be that might be the way to go about it. I have a case now where um it's a mechanics lien. I'm defending the homeowners, and the other side is telling me, oh, we're going to get attorneys' fees because you guys are acting in bad faith and um. I get that, but it's not going to be under the mechanic lien statute yeah. um, that he would get that. Um, that, Yeah, I mean, I, he's reaching. I know the guy. he's reaching. Good lawyer, but he's reaching because, just as an aside, in the state of New Hampshire, probably like other states, there's three ways you're going to get attorney's fees. Um, one is by agreement, so like a mortgage or a contract that specifically says that, the, you know, you're know, you going to have to, the losing party going to have to pay the other side's reasonable attorney's fees and costs. The other would be, so if it's not by agreement or consent, um, then it would be by statute. Is there a law that allows for treble damages or some statute, like a lot of federal cases might have that. Uh, if there's no specific law that gives you attorney's fees and costs, then the third, and this is where this guy's going with this case, is the so-called bad faith litigation exception. Um, pretty high standard, uh, in New Hampshire, the case is Harkin v. Adams. It's still good law. It's old law, but still good law. Um, and you're going to have to show, you know, you're going to have to show more than just a dispute, you know, parties, parties dispute things all the time. That's why we have jobs. Um, it,
0: it's,
1: it's got to, it's got to rise to the level of um, well, what they call it is that you're, you're denying another party, a a well-defined right. And I won't go into the Harkin matters. There's three ways you get legal fees. And that's, across the board and mechanics liens again
0: just they're not part of the statute they don't have a statute that for it yeah. okay so what about material suppliers would they have to take the same steps as a, as a subcontractor
1: yeah they would um they would and essentially it really comes down to um whether <clears throat> it's a simple statute whether anybody whether they're a material supplier or equipment um so a company that would would Run equipment. would be Lease out a, a bulldozer or whatever, a, a you know compressor or whatever. Um, if it's used to better the property, better real estate, then they they would have the the ability to lean, but they would have to go through <clears throat> subcontract. They'd have to go. They they would treat themselves as a subcontractor. Absolutely. So they'd, again, and they'd have to give a notice,
0: the, of, and they'd have to send the notice to the owner. Hopefully, the sooner the better, so there would still be funds there.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. They'd have to send a notice of intent to lean. <clears throat> and the sooner the better. They can do it after,
0: but it's better to do it sooner just to cover yourself. Gotcha. All right. So tell me about public works projects, because you know, just generally in all 50 states, you cannot lean file lien on uh, property owned by the government, whether that's the federal government or the state government. So what do bond claims look like in New Hampshire?
1: So that's right. That's true. New Hampshire. It's just funny how that works, how government's really good about making sure that you can't get Um, Mechanics liens against the the state property, (laughs) Um, so let's see, construction on any state, county, city, or town owned property, um, they can't attach under the mechanics lien, Um, that's RSA 447 section 12. They do attach, however, to any money due from the state or other governmental subdivision to the leaning contractor. That's RSA. That's a fancy way of saying a bond. So public works have to be bonded. um, It's RSA 447 Section 15. Um, Public entities have to obtain bonds on any project that's over $25,000 equal to or it says at least 100% of the contract price. So. I've got some case sites, but I'll leave, I'll leave that off for now because it's so old, it's a 1964 <laughs> case. Um, but yeah, look at, if you're looking at a bond project, um, you want to know about it, obviously. You want to be familiar with uh, RSA 447 Section 16, uh, stuff that does get covered, um, a statutory payment bond does provide security, um, again, this is all in the statute 44716. Um, All labor performed or furnished by the contractors and subcontractors, all equipment hired, trucks, all material used, fuels, lubricants, power, tools, hardware, supplies, and labor and parts furnished for the repair of equipment used in carrying out the contract. Um, That's just all statutory. Gotcha.
0: And then when would they have to send notices and who do they have to send notices to?
1: Yep. Um, So... The state has an interest in, in, reasonably ensuring that subcontractor suppliers are not deterred from bidding, working on public projects. So, um, the bond requirement protects material supplier to, um, subcontractor general. Um, you're looking for what, for the notice.
0: Yeah. who's got to yeah. send it. Yeah. Who's got it. Like a, so, a material supplier is gonna have to send notice to somebody.
1: Yeah, um, let's say i'm looking through my notes here general counsel. uh oh how do you get caught comp- so you pretty much give notice uh, first of all start with the secretary of state's office if you're looking to find out um a lot of stuff that bonds are going to be done through the secretary of state's office um and so know that um Let's see. I'm going to my notes on. I I notice everybody, but that's easy easy way to do it. The um I agree. The, you know what I mean that um so. Oh yeah. Okay. So supplier or subcontractor, they don't have to give an advance notice of his intent to claim the Go benefits ahead. of a bond before what, filing what they call a statement of claim, and that's okay. filed again with the state with the the secretary of state's office. Okay. Um, so there's a provision that you gotta within you have one year to file a petition in the superior court um in which the contract was principally performed to enforce the claim the
0: statement. so
1: you file you, essentially the process is you file a claim with state bonding company and then you've got a year to move on it um that's the general and that, again this is all
0: statutory um gotcha.
1: it's kind of laid out.
0: And hopefully you would get paid without having to file a lawsuit, but you never know.
1: Yeah, right. Hopefully <laughs> right. Hopefully you can file your claim and get that resolved. And a lot of them are resolved that way. Um, but you should mark a year. If you get to that point where you filed your claim against the bond and there hasn't been much activity, you definitely want to make sure that you're, you've marked it for a year. Yeah. And get, it's well, like, don't wait until the last minute, but you, you've got to bring suit um, in yeah. superior court within a year. Good deal.
0: All right. So is there anything I've missed that's important to Liens in New Hampshire that we didn't talk about? No,
1: I think we've covered most. I Like like I, you mentioned before, doing this on your own, um, not a good idea. So if, if your audience here, I'm not sure who, who will get this, but if you're a, a s- small operator, it's you, maybe a couple. you have a couple guys or women or whatever that work for you, and you're worried about the cost of doing this, um, the legal costs and the fees and stuff. I don't blame you, but I can tell you that it's not super expensive to put together this stuff. Um, putting together a lawsuit and it, it's worth, in my opinion, and I'm not saying this just to promote lawyers. It's worth getting done right. Um, you're, you know, um, and I'm a litigator too, so it's, you know, it's kind of hard to be uh, to be objective about this. Um, so I, I guess if there's timelines and there's things that qualify, so I guess if we were saying what um, what would I tell you, what things we haven't covered, it's simple. Know your role. It's either one or two. Either going to be general, meaning direct, contract, direct contact with the homeowner, or if it's a construction of the commercial, the owner of the property. Um, I'd be careful about that because I've seen commercial deals where you know, you think you know who the owner of the property is, but in a lot of in a commercial setting, they're dealing with you know different companies or managing companies, or and you come to find out, well, hey, you know the people you've been dealing with, they don't own the property at all. They're in you know Houston, and they're just a property manager. You got to know who owns the property that you're going to do work on. That's important.
0: Um, so I, that's what I would say. Uh, no, absolutely. You know, it'd be coming from number one, knowing that you have lien rights that are much more than a breach of contract. You have a secured interest in the property that you improved and knowing how to protect those rights because, you know, you work hard, you improve the property, you deserve to get paid. Uh, I think it's hugely important when I'm collecting a database of all the 50 different ways to do it. It's just uh, in one place. Uh, and, and, And if you need a construction lawyer in your state, I have them all on the podcast too. So right. speaking of that, where can people find information about you and your firm?
1: So I know I have a form um, to fill out, which I'll do in a minute, um, which has all that information. But my name is uh, William Amon. It's A-M-A-N-N. And the name of my firm is Amon Burnett. Uh, we are in Manchester, New Hampshire, and we're also in North Andover, Massachusetts. It's about 15 miles north of Boston, I guess. Um I don't know if you want my the email address or, or the uh the website, yeah, but i, I think that, show,
0: we'll put it in the show notes too, but that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I'll fill out that form again. But our, our okay. website is uh is simple. It's um you know com, and it's amburlaw dot com. It's just kind of an amalgamation of my last name and Burnett's last name. Um so amberlaw.com. But you could Perfect. you could go there and You'll know how to find us.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and letting us know all the thing about New Hampshire Leans. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, great. I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, thanks a lot.
0: Hey guys, Carolyn means I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Uh, I've made a promise and never had paid ads in my podcast because I truly want it to be an educational series, but as part of that, then you're gonna have to hear the things that I have to sell and the causes that are near and dear to my heart. I want to introduce you to a charity called Heroes for Children. Uh, they can be found at heroesforchildren.org. They are in the business of helping families with children who have cancer. Uh, and I think as a parent of healthy children, we take for granted the fact that our kids are healthy and we don't have to deal with a terminal illness or an illness that's going to change the way the family works. One parent's going to have to take off work and, and deal with being in the hospital all the time. So this charity is like immediate assistance, helping families with children who have cancer. So uh, check it out, heroesforchildren.org. They're always having events of poker nights easy ways to donate. So if you're getting anything at all out of this podcast, I ask that you give back in a way such as this. Go to heroesforchildren.org. Thanks.